Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles <clears throat> turn over to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60 tonight. Isaiah chapter 60. <clears throat> if you would pray, uh, pray obviously for our youth rally, but Brother Josh is uh, heading that up, and uh, Brother Kavanaugh and I are going to have the opportunity to preach at the, uh, the, the conference this year, and we're looking forward to that. And so be praying for us that uh, whatever the Lord gives to us will be exactly what the youngsters need as well as even the leaders that will be bringing them. Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1. <clears throat> Isaiah 60 verse 1. Arise, shine, for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. The Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. 
Well, Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, that you'd speak to us tonight. May this little simple thought truly encourage us as we go forward in reaching a world that's lost and in need of Christ. We need your presence and your power even this evening. Once again, Lord, may your word be lifted up in our lives and Lord, may we apply it as uh, our faith and practice. We love you. We thank you. We give to you the glory in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> I believe there's a meeting tonight, is there not? Is there a meeting tonight for the uh, youth rally? Somebody tell me. Okay, I just thought there was. That's what I thought. Okay, well, we'll be out of here in uh, 20 minutes. <clears throat> well, you won't be out of here, so I, that's not really true, right? So it'll be longer than that. So anyway, here we go. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 through 3. <clears throat> we're looking at the passage, and right off the bat, yeah, we, we notice something about it. It's prophetical. It's not just talking about something, obviously, that's taking place on the onset. It's talking about something that's still future and ahead, and it relates directly to Israel and the millennium. The Messiah, or the Lord Jesus Christ, they would call him the Christ, uh, will have come at this point. He'll have established his kingdom. He'll be ruling and reigning on the throne of David. Uh, and it'll be the long-awaited time uh, that they had been waiting for. I mean, this, uh, it, Israel has been waiting for this Messiah to come and to establish this kingdom. And in this passage, we see the fulfillment of that. And uh, they thought that it would come in the first advent. They thought when Jesus arrived the first time that he would establish his kingdom. The fact was that Christ would be crucified, shed his precious blood on behalf of all mankind, however. So the Israelite will one day experience this prophecy firsthand. Christ is the light that's going to come at the second advent. His glory will revive a fallen people, Israel. It will even restore them to their promised place of preeminence in the world. And the Bible is implying that every eye will be on Israel as they're elevated before the nations once again. How or why is that possible? Well, because of how our passage explains it. Because they are going to reflect the light of the Lord, and that light will stand out amidst the prevailing darkness in the world, as well as the gross darkness among the people. So they are going to basically uh, be uh, kind of like the sunshine will be the Lord Jesus Christ, and the moon is going to be like Israel. They're going to be reflecting the sunlight, if you will, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, those that are in the world will be mesmerized by them and be focused on them who will be reflecting the light of the Lord. Again, although this passage is written to God's people Israel, it does speak to us today. It uh, has a practical application that I want to just take a moment and share very, very quickly. I want to note just three simple thoughts from the passage tonight. Number one, we see the command to shine. In verse one, he says, arise, shine. Now turn, if you would, to John chapter one, would you? John chapter one, verse one. We're going to look over there in that particular passage, and we're going to see that at the very beginning of the book of John, he's going to write about the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Notice what he says in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Again, we notice there in John chapter 1, as we're being introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Word, we're recognizing also that he is the light. He is exactly the one that is being spoken of as light. We know this to be the case because even Jesus Christ in John chapter 8, verse 12, said that, that as it says, then spoke Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. No doubt that in John chapter 1, he's talking about Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, we read, and this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. So what we find is that in John chapter 1, John chapter 3, John chapter 8, we see Jesus Christ being spoken of as the light. Arise, shine. How in the world will the Israelites shine in that day, future date that is, in the millennium? By the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we, you and I, to shine today in the world in which we live, although it be dark, it's through Jesus Christ. See, we are to reflect His light. He says, arise, shine. The children of God, or should I say the child of God is one who has has come face to face with the light, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. And we've decided to obey the Lord in salvation and in sanctification. The believer is to arise now, to shine. We're to reflect his light on behalf of others. See, when we go out into the streets or when we go in the highways and hedges, it's not to be ourselves or our own light that people are to see. It's not to be just a magnetic personality or somebody that has the gift of gab. No, it is to be literally Christ that they are seeing and that's, we're being, that is being reflected to them. They need to, we need to take Christ and allow him to shine in and through us that they may see him that way. In Matthew chapter 5, turn there please. Matthew chapter 5 verse 14. Now, we've been out knocking doors, and man, we've had a tremendous group that's been coming out, and we appreciate that, and that's been a blessing. But as we go out and as we recognize souls being saved, it's not just because there are certain people who just seem to just have the plan down a little bit better, although they may have it down real well. I don't know. Uh, I got to believe they have it down at least to some degree because they're soul certified, we call it. They've been tested on that. But the fact is, is that they have a basic understanding and a basic knowledge of the gospel. But I'll tell you one thing, it's not going to be that simple basic understanding of the gospel necessarily that equips them and enables them to win souls. It's going to be Christ himself in and through them. It's, it's not really the messenger so much as it is the, the, the master that the people, the world needs to see. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 
Boy, as we obey the Word of God, as we give uh, credence to the truths, to the statutes, and to the, the wonderful Word of God, the fact is, is that it becomes a light shining in and through us. Listen, how do people see Christ in us? By our obedience to Him and His Word, by being yielded to His Holy Spirit. The prophet Isaiah, he puts it this way in Isaiah 58. He says, listen, we need to cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and shew my people their transgression in the house of Jacob their sins. We have this little course we sing. I did it at the nursing home this past Sunday. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Well, I'll tell you what, that's exactly what it is. We're, we're, we're a light to the world, but it's not just our own light. It's the light of Christ in and through us. And as we obey Him, as we submit to Him, as we surrender to Him, that light can shine through and an eternal work can be done, not just a temporal one. And we have that little chorus we sing, Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and Give God the glory, glory, children of the Lord. Man, I'll tell you what, those little courses have all that doctrine just packed right on in there. So first and foremost, we note the command to shine. Right off the bat, he says, rise, arise and shine. And then he goes, then we see not only the command to shine, we see the condition of man. There as we move into verse 2, right at the very beginning, he says, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. Well, that doesn't sound too good. I read uh, about a buzzard, a bat, and a bumblebee. If you put a buzzard in a pen that's six feet by eight feet, and it's, in, and, and it's entirely open at the top, that bird, in spite of all the ability it has to fly, will be absolutely a prisoner, just a prisoner. And the reason is, is that that buzzard always begins its flight from the ground with a run of about 10 to 12 feet. Without that space to run, as it's its habit, it'll not even attempt to fly. But it'll simply remain a prisoner for life in that small little jail that has no top on it. It's crazy, isn't it? I read about the bat. The ordinary, but, uh, 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 I mean... The ordinary bat that, that flies around at night, they're, they're really nimble, aren't they? They're amazing little creatures. I mean, they're nothing I want in my home, but they're really unbelievable. But you do know they cannot take off on level ground, a level place. If it's placed on the floor or flat ground, all it can do is shuffle around helplessly and, and, and no doubt, I'm sure painfully, until it reaches some slight elevation from which it can kind of throw itself into the air, then at once it takes off like a just flash. This one's the one that's most interesting to me, the bumblebee, because I hate bumblebees. Yeah, I know you may love them, but I hate when they're buzzing around and I'm trying to work because I get real nervous. Now, of course, you can tell I'm not afraid of anything. But those bumblebees bother me. A bumblebee, if you, if you drop a bumblebee into an open tumbler, it'll be there till the day it dies. Unless you take it out or throw it out. See, it never, it never sees the means to escape at the top. 
it continues to try to find some way out through the, the sides near the bottom. Boom, 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 boom. Never up. It'll seek a way where there's no escape until it completely destroys itself. Now listen, people are very similar in a number of ways. Just like the buzzard, the bat, and the bumblebee, we struggle about with all of our problems and our frustrations consistently and continually. We persist to try to find some way out through the sides near the bottom. But you know what? It's not until a person realizes all they have to do is look up that they're really going to find a way out. See, that's the answer. The escape route and the solution to any problem is just look up. But unfortunately, fallen man has a difficult time looking up. I mean, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 45, 22, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Well, where's the Lord? Up. You have to look up. The world's having a hard time looking up. They feel buried with their problems and in their sin, and as a result, they rarely look up. The devil has so blinded mankind and caused them to seek elsewhere that they don't even realize how simple it is. Look up. They just continue in misery day after day after day, week after week after week, month after month and year after year. In Romans 8, 22, for we know that the whole earth groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Arise, shine. How important is it that you and I take on the responsibility that God has given us, that we assume it and that we say, yes, indeed, I will be a light in a dark world. They're not going to find their way out of that tumbler. They're not going to find their way out of that prison unless we show them and tell them to look up. And that's exactly what we've been doing as we've been knocking doors this last couple of weeks or three weeks or so. Look up! Arise, shine, he says. And then number three, notice the countenance of the converted in chapter uh, the same chapter, verses 2 and 3. Let me read it to you because I know you've already moved from the Isaiah 60, but let me just read it. It says again, For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. It goes on in verse 3 to say, And the Gentiles shall come to the light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Like Israel in the millennium, who are going to shine because of the glory of the Lord reflected upon them. So his glory shines within us and lights up our person. That's attractive to people. In Psalm chapter 40, turn there, would you please? We have the testimony of David. A powerful passage in chapter 40, verses 1 through 3. Psalm chapter 40, verse 1, the Bible says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. 
He brought me up also out of an horrible pit and out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my going. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Man, that's powerful stuff. See, God put a new song in our mouths. The day that we came to Jesus Christ, the day that we recognized and acknowledged our sin before a holy God, the day that we said, I know I'm not good, I know there's nothing about me worthy of heaven or your favor, God, but what I do know is that you and your mercy and grace extend to me your salvation, and I call upon you now, and I receive you into my life, and I'm trusting only you to get me to heaven. All of a sudden, just like that, he puts a new song in our mouth, even praise unto our God. It's a song of praise. If there isn't much ugly, anything, there isn't much more ugly on a person than a critical spirit, especially a believer. Man, we have been given a song of praise. Now we shouldn't be the, the critic of everything. We should be, if anything, a cheerleader for everything good and godly. And that song, the Bible says, is attractive. And when it's seen and heard, it compels others to trust in the Lord too. Man, there ought to be a joy in our life. There ought to be a, a, a freedom that comes in Christ Jesus. We aren't the same since receiving the Lord into our lives. Our joy meter should be off the charts. I think about Moses as he's up in that mount for 40 days and 40 nights. He's, he's literally fellowshipping face-to-face with God. He comes down out of the mount, and the Bible tells us that the people of God could not even look upon his countenance because he was, it's, his face shined so greatly. He had to put a veil over his face. Can I tell you this? And I just want to make this clear because sometimes I feel like God gets a bad rap because Christians will say things like, well, I've been praying and nothing's happened and I feel I've been praying and it just feel like God's a million miles away. I've been praying and God's not very real to me and I've been praying and nothing seems to be like joyful in my life. It seems like nothing's really any good anymore and nothing goes my way and everything's a mess in my life and I don't have the peace of God or the feel of purpose of God and I don't feel the joy of the Lord anymore. I don't have any of that that stuff and I'm still praying well let me tell you something Moses didn't stop praying after a day I'm telling you we are kidding ourselves if we think this five minute a day or ten minute a day fellowship with God is going to bring the results that we are seeking and that the Bible tells us will happen this idea that somehow God is a God that's more than happy He's to, to give us everything we ask just because we ask. Listen, there's some things that he says, they're at your disposal and they're available to you, but you're going to have to take the steps that are outlined in the Word of God. And that means you've got to be pleasing me with your time. Spend some time with me. Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights in the very presence of God. We spend four minutes and we think God should give us peace and joy. The world does not need to see us. It needs to see Him. And the only way the world's ever going to see the Lord is if we spend some quality time with God and quantity. Man, it is difficult to cut out portions of time in our schedules. 
It's difficult at times to say, I'm going to block this time and give it to God. I know that, but we've got to do something. We used to tell moms, moms would say, what in the world am I going to do? I've got three or four or five kids and I don't know what to do. I don't have any time. Get up earlier. And you're like, what? Used to be, oh, I guess that's what I'll have to do. That's why the Proverbs wife or, or, or mother, she's up before everybody else. And guess when she goes to bed? After everybody. Well, I'm just, I'll tell you what, I'm just overwhelmed with life. We've got to spend more time with him. Because I worked all day, I come home, and man, I'll tell you what, I'm beat. I just want to flip the television on and veg out the rest of the night. We better make sure we're spending time with the Lord because that's not going to make us shine in the world we're living in. We got to spend some time with Jesus. Let's spend time with him. He says, Arise, shine. We noted the command to shine, the condition of man. We note the countenance of the converted. That countenance is just boom, bright, whenever we're close to the Lord Jesus. One day Israel will shine, we said, as the Lord Jesus Christ rules and reigns on the throne of David. And the eyes of the world are going to look upon them as, the, as they reflect His glory. Well, we have the privilege to experience the glory of God today. We don't need to wait till the millennium to shine. We're commanded to shine even now before a people that are in gross darkness. May God help us to rise and shine. May we allow the glorious light of Christ to shine through us, providing a beacon of light for those that are crashing into the rocks of sin. A preacher was speaking at an open-air crusade in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Billy Graham was to speak the next night. Well, he showed up a little bit early, to, uh, and, he sh and so that night before, he decided he'd go out incognito, put a little, some glasses on, a hat, you know, try to kind of cover up who he really was. He sat on the grass near the, re near the rear of the crowd, and, and because he was wearing that hat and dark glasses, no one seemed to recognize him that night. Well, directly in front of him, there was a fella, an older gentleman that was sitting there, and he was listening very intently to the message, and he was, uh, he, he, I mean, he was listening big time. And so when the preacher invited people to come forward at that open air, uh, that open meeting, or that, uh, and to sign kind of an open commitment saying, I've trusted Christ, I need Jesus in my life, an altar call, if you will, Billy Graham decided that he would do a little bit of personal work on the side. And so he got up and he tapped the man on the shoulder and he said, hey, would you like to accept Christ tonight? I'd be glad to walk down with you if you want to. The older fellow looked him up and down a little bit and he thought it over for just a short moment. And then he said, nah, I think I'll just wait till the big gun comes tomorrow night. I'm just going to wait till the big gun comes tomorrow night. Unfortunately, that kind of mindset at times has gripped Christianity. Sometimes the idea is as well, the evangelism, evangelism in reaching people with the gospels for the big guns, not the little shots. 
And so therefore, and again, I, I'm not saying that that's the case in our church necessarily, but I've seen it at times in churches and, and maybe in, even in ours at some point where certain folks might say things like, well, you know, that, that's why we hire staff. That's why we have the pastor and the staff and we've got people in charge of classes. They're the big guns. We'll let them do the evangelizing. I'm thankful today that there's 40 or 50 people out on Tuesday and Thursday during our promotion. I'm glad that not everybody's got a mindset that it's got to be the big guns because I'm telling you, it's not the big guns that turned the world upside down. It were those that were ignorant and unlearned men, but they had been with Jesus. God help us to be with Jesus and to rise and shine. Keep shining, church. Keep shining. Stay close to Jesus and keep shining. That's what will change our world. That's what will change our lives. That's what will change our homes and our marriages and our families. We've got to stay close to Jesus and allow his light to shine in and through us. May God help us to rise and shine. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time we've had together in your word. Just a simple challenge. And Lord, I pray, Father, that we would rise and shine. Oh, Lord, there's so many in darkness today. And, Lord, it's been that way forever. The world is in darkness. And, Lord, you've always encouraged your people to just reflect your light. I'm glad that you are the light of the world. But then you said that we're the light of the world now, too. That when you left, you handed us the reins and said it's your responsibility. And so, Lord, we thank you for a church that's saying we're going to go out and reach the world with the gospel. We want them to see you, Jesus. Father, be glorified even tonight in our lives. Help us, Father, to just bear the responsibility of shining in a world in which darkness prevails, that many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed tonight as the music plays.